the Goat of Popularity Podcast. And welcome back, coppers, to the Cult of Popularity Podcast, the only cult that encourages you to believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Sorry, gangster. I'm not from the street. From the hood. From the hood. Unlike anyone that we'll be talking about today. Yeah. A pretty uh, vanilla lineup. <laughs> oh, vanilla. Go into, I guess, three topics. We've got grandfather of all first person shooters. Grandfather. Yeah. It's pretty old. Yeah, but Doom's older. Doom is older. But Goldeneye did it better. As far as like multiplayer and things like that, fuck yes, it did. 100%. Also going into Hot Rod, Lonely Island's first theatrical work. It was, indeed. In, uh, in film. And Parks and Recreation, which is a absolute banger of a TV series. It really is. Fucking gold. Get things started. Kick it off with GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64. Indeed. It's definitely a game which I think anyone growing up through the 90s will remember greatly. Especially if you had a Nintendo 64. Yeah. Even if you didn't have one, though, and you knew someone that had one, mm. you could go around there and play it. Which is it. Like, I had Nintendo 64, but I didn't actually have GoldenEye, but my mate did. Okay. I had GoldenEye pretty well straight off the bat. Pretty sure when I got my N64, it came with uh, GoldenEye, Mission Impossible, and Banjo-Kazooie, and Mario, I think. Yeah, right. Jeez, look at you. All the games. Mate, I had all the games. I had a Turok. I'm pretty sure my dad bought that secondhand off someone. So Why not? They may have been desperate for money, and he's like... I'll buy that shit. Give me all you got. Give me it all. <laughs> Give it to me, baby. Bit of a Rick James there. Some interesting facts that were sort of I found going through doing the research on GoldenEye is that it was actually originally envisioned as a like SNES platformer and an on-rail shooter. So they wanted to have it like, I don't know, sort of I guess like a cross-platform or cross-console sort of game where you could play it on SNES and, you know, it was, you know, your usual side-scroll platformer. Mm. But then you could also play it on the N64, which was like a beefed-up version where you could, where it was 3D and you could run around and, and shoot things like that. However, they were just like, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah, we're just going to go. We're just going to make the better version. It was going to make the better version, so then people have to go out and buy more consoles. That's true. Same time, I'll say the flip side of that, though. Still pandering to the people that still have the older console. Would have boosted game sales. People would have bought it on that. But at the same time, it would have been a completely, completely different game. Yeah. But that, and then that, that's the difference between sort of like nowadays, I guess, where you've got next generation consoles coming in. Usually developers and, and companies like, you know, like Sony, for example, will release next gen comes out. They'll release the same game on the current gen and then the new gen console. Mm. And the one on the new gens is obviously a better version. It's beefed more, up. Beefed but it's still up. the same thing. It's like, still the but same But in the same game. time, they don't change it entirely. It just it's, looks better. Yeah, it's not it's a completely prettier. different game. Whereas this was, this was they were going to be two separate titles, mm, essentially. Yeah, which is, yeah, different. Yeah. I guess if, if it was made today, they probably would have done that in a different way where it would have been, you know, like in Wolfenstein, and where you go in and you're playing the modern game, and then you go to sleep, and then you're playing the old school mm. version. If they're going to do it today, they could do something like that, where it's like you play it all in three D, but there's certain parts, even like in Mario Odyssey, where you play through, and like some of the levels, parts of the levels are like in the Goes old two D eight bit, yeah. 
which is cool. I thought that was a cool feature. But yeah, big fan of, of GoldenEye. Obviously, it was a great game for its time. Still great. Still has replay value today, which is pretty impressive. It is, yeah. For, for a game that, that old. It is. I would definitely love to see um, a re-release of that game. They re- they did a re-release in 2010. Did they? Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't as well received as the original. No, they tried to mess around with it too much. We're like, oh, yeah. well, we could change these things. It's like, well, no, we don't. We don't want you to change anything. We just want you to make it available to us on newer consoles. Yeah. Which was, yeah, it wasn't as good. I haven't played it. But from what I found on it, it didn't... No, one thing I struggle to remember going back to is obviously the Nintendo 64 controller only had the one joystick. In the middle. Yeah, in the middle. And I find it very hard. Like, I don't remember it. I don't remember having any problems with it at the time. But I think nowadays, it would be shit. Yeah. It's the a- one joystick. Because I can't, I can't remember how you did it. Did... Did did you use that to walk around, or did you use the, the like the D pad on the left side, and you use the joystick to aim? Can you remember? I think it depended on the game. I know that in Mario sixty four you used the. No, no, but I'm talking specifically about Goldeneye because oh, it was the first. Po- it was a first. Eye. It was a first person shooter. Just in the old memory, there. Pretty sure you used yeah, you used the D pad to move. Yeah. And the stick for aiming for aiming. Yeah. Okay. I do have Goldeneye on my N sixty four at home, so maybe we have a couple of beers and give it oh, a lash one night. Also, was only developed by was developed by only nine people, and eight of which had never worked on a video game before, which is very impressive how good it came out. That's considering. true. It's a very yeah very small development team. It's funny how it's changed from back in the nineties where you could have such a small development team working on a video game, whereas now it's like a massive entire ensemble of staff working on big AAA titles. Yeah. That's exactly right. The crazy thing about that as well is the multiplayer, which is so you know legendary to that that game, mm. was only thrown together in about a month. No like, way. They just last minute they're like, oh, we should put some multiplayer in this. I can chuck it together, and it's like one of the best multiplayer games mm. of all time. Like it's so good. I remember still having like having so much fun, you know, playing with mates and whatever. And like you'd be, I think it was the caverns level where there was like these two sort of doors you had to open one going to this little chamber bit that was like between the two doors and then another door so it was like a little contained area so you'd get in there and you'd, you'd wait till like you'd sort of follow them if they weren't watching your screen like you'd, mm. you'd go in and then you'd follow them into the thing and as they walked in throw proximity mines in on one end jet around the other side of it <laughs> and wait for them and then you just shoot them if they ran backwards they blew themselves up <laughs> Or put them on the inside of the door, so as soon as they walked up to the door and tried to open it, it just blow them up. Nice. You'd get so many upset kids today playing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're sensitive. They, they are sensitive, the, the young'uns. Uh, another really cool feature that Rare, the, comp- the studio that developed the game, wanted to implement into it as well, going back to sort of talking about the controller, is, you remember rumble packs in the N64 controllers? The rumble packs? Yeah. Mm. Like make them vibrate and stuff like that. They actually wanted it to be a feature that in order to reload, you had to like eject your rumble pack and then put it back in like you were loading a clip into a gun. Mm. Which, that's how controllers get broken. That's how controllers get broken. It's also really frustrating. Like It would have been, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good concept. Like, it's one of those things that sounds really good in your head and you're like, this would be a great idea. In practice though, like it actually does. Like it, when you first told me about that, I was like, that's really cool. Then I thought about it, I was like, that would actually be end up being really shit though 
Yeah. It would be good if they still left it in as like an optional feature though. So you could have chosen if that's how you wanted to do it. Yeah, that would have been cool. Because I'm sure at first the novelty would have been cool and you just would have gotten re- over it really quickly and would have changed back yeah. to what we know and used. But I'm sure at first you would have, you definitely would have given it a go. Yeah. And one of the, uh, I mean, that's like one of the big rumors and whether they actually stick to it or not. Big rumors coming out about the PS5, just on a bit of a random sort of topic there with controllers, is they're wanting to have the, the triggers on the back uh, more pressure sensitive. So they have pushback. So if you're firing a bow, for example, as you pull the, the, the trigger back, it gets harder as you pull it. And that's pretty cool. Pull the bow further back. That's cool. So I've seen some features. I don't know if it was their concept of what they think the PS5 is going to, control is going to be or not. But another thing you could, like they were showing you could do with the back button as well, is you could actually put like a sort of lock on there. So rather than having like obviously the R2 and L2 buttons on, on it, you have like that further draw that you pull on them there's actually going to be a way that you can lock it so it's more button rather than having that so longer extended part. If you're just doing part. a shooter rather than having to pull it all the way back every time you want to yeah. pull the trigger, you just tap it. It'll be more like the R1 and L1 buttons. Yeah. The other thing I saw as well is they're putting Z buttons on it. Have you seen that? No, nah, man. So, there's actually going to be buttons, two buttons underneath the controller. Well, the controller on the back of, the button on the back of the N64 controller was a Z button. Mm. So, essentially, there's going to be, there might have been J, it's either Z or J, I can't remember now. But it was pretty cool. But there was basically two buttons like underneath. So where on in the middle of the control we got like start and or where start and select were. Now you got the touchpad, um, and you've got options and share. Mm, so basically, directly underneath that on the bottom of the controller, we're going to be two more buttons. That wouldn't be bad. I kind of hope they fuck the the um, touchpad off. I'm not a big nah, fan of the touchpad. touchpad. Same. Is it? Yeah. Nothing wrong with the touchpad. I'm from the touchpad. Put all the time when I'm like fucking putting my controller down or, or some shit. What does that do? What's what's wrong with that? Just fucking... You putting it down annoys me but all you're doing is putting it down yeah, like if I put the, if I what put annoys it... me is the fact that when I go to put my fucking controller on the charging dock is I usually bump the PS button and turn the prick back on <laughs> yeah that would be annoying so another really cool thing like a hidden thing in the game is actually hidden in the game's code uh, getting back to GoldenEye obviously is that Sean Connery Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton are all hidden characters in the, the game could you actually access them not really, no. So the reason for they were all, there, but you can't touch this. Yeah. So you can find evidence of them and use like and you can use them as death in like death matches and things like that. But then they just decided to all remove them out. They're all removed in the last stated as in the ninth hour. So like right at the very end when they were just finishing off, they'll put all the finishing touches in. They were like, they must have got. I think they must have got a cease and desist from one of the actors. Ooh. So they were just like, well, fuck it, we'll take them all out there. <laughs> um, so they did that, but they obviously didn't remove it all from the code. So if you use a game shark or by doing a bit of picking through the game's code, you can actually find evidence of the the other bonds. Another really cool feature was that yeah, you, know, you could you could bring it when you brought up the the menu screen. It was uh, James Bond's watch. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. It actually told. It actually kept time. Like throughout the game, or did it pick up on like time that it said in the console and actually tell you the time? It was actually, yeah, it actually kept accurate time and it kept moving whether the game was paused or not. But I think it was in, I'm pretty sure it was in game time. Yeah, it was okay. actually like real yeah. time. Makes sense. So I don't, I don't remember you having to ever set, set the time and date and stuff on your N64 console. And so you've got written down here that at some point Nintendo almost pulled the plug on Goldeneye. Yeah, so they did because they thought it was going to be a flop. Wow, how wrong were they? <laughs> it's, yeah, really out of... Yeah, when people talk about Nintendo 64, that is one of the 
one of the games that has stuck around the most that people will bring up if you say, oh, did you, did you ever have a Nintendo 64? People will instantly turn around and be like, yeah, I loved GoldenEye. Yeah. I guess I'd say the big three would be uh, GoldenEye, Ocarina of Time, and Mario Kart. Yeah, true. Mario Kart was... Long way can say Super Mario in 64, but I think Mario Kart was heaps bigger. It was, yeah. Again, I think because of that multiplayer aspect, though. Yeah. There was no multiplayer in Ocarina of Time. There was, it was just a solid game. It was a very solid game. Can't believe people speed run that in like thirty minutes and shit. really, yeah. I don't even know how. I think they use like glitches and exploits and stuff. They've got to surely. Yeah, Game Sharks. Game Shark. It actually, Goldeneye actually surpassed uh, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time in sales as well. At ninety eight, it sold approximately two point one million copies. That's pretty good. It's very good. Uh, it's the third. Out. It's the third best selling in N sixty four game of all time behind. Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Yeah, okay. That's pretty good. What I didn't realise is that they were actually given the opportunity to make a second game based on the next movie, Tomorrow Never Dies. They were. Which they turned down, well, Rare turned down, and Nintendo were like, okay, which is weird because I, I don't know who made it. There's definitely a Tomorrow Never Dies game on the PlayStation because I remember playing that, which was quite good. I don't believe it had multiplayer aspect. Not that I remember anyway. Um, like GoldenEye did, but it was still a good. I think that was third person perspective, maybe. Yeah. On the PlayStation. No, there was there actually were a couple of really good James Bond games that did follow it. There was Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, Nightfire, and World Is Not Enough. Yeah. Nightfire was the only one that was not actually named after a film. Mm. It was just its own standalone game. Pretty sure that one actually had a pretty cool multiplayer mode in it as yeah, well. Cool. Yeah, like gadgets and shit. So you could like use grappling hooks to like grapple up onto roofs and yeah, like cool. shoot at Crazy. each other and shit, which was pretty cool. Uh, very Tenchu stealth, stealth assassin esque grappling hooks. <laughs> Do you remember playing that? Ah, uh, vaguely. That was that was a fucking belter of a game. Uh, yeah. Apparently, the controls are actually praised as being more intuitive than acclaims earlier and more well received. Well, not more well received, but it's very well received N sixty four game Turok uh, Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Yeah, controls for that weren't... Weren't great. No, they weren't. It was a good game, but the controls in that were a little uh, sloppy. Yeah. I was a bit disappointed with the, the remake they made for Turok. The one on the... I think it was on the, it was on the Xbox 360, and it might have been on the PS3. I'm not sure. Yeah, Definitely right. On the Xbox 360. It was all right, but it wasn't... Like, even still, the controls were a bit shit. Mm. Hunting with the bow was a lot better. Like You could like pin people to the walls and shit. Yeah, yeah, which was pretty fucking cool. So the the 2010 reimagining of it wasn't actually like a remake; it was a reimagining of the N64 game. It also basically had Daniel Craig as the player uh, playable character. It was the first first person shooter. Uh, new level layouts and on and had like an online component to it as well. Online multiplayer, I guess. But yeah, sounds like they fucked with it too much, and that's why it didn't work. Yes, yeah, some someone kind of goes. You know, it would make this game better. I go and fuck around with it. Obviously, though, the game gets massively high acclaim on just about any platform in regards to, yes, what it did as just being a good game, and especially in regards to being a first-person multiplayer game. I've given uh, credit in making way for later-on games such as Halo, Call of Duty, and everything else as well. Yeah, definitely. 
because before then, I mean, you, you meet sort of touched on it. You know, you did have first person shooters like Wolfenstein and and Doom and things mm. like that. But they hadn't really they didn't really break through in as big a way. Oh, they like, certainly did. They, those thing those games broke through, and certainly they would have paved the way for Goldeneye to come along. Yeah, because they were sort of first of their kind in any regard. And then someone genius has come along, going, "That's cool and all, but what if you could like." Kill your friends. Yeah, exactly. And what a genius idea that was. That was a great idea. No, it's definitely done a lot for, especially multiplayer shooters. I don't know if we'd have uh, Fork Knife if there was no GoldenEye. Not true. Uh, well, oh, so I reckon something else would have filled its place, but it was GoldenEye that, that kicked it all off. I would say so. Like I can't think of another multiplayer first-person shooter that one was as good or lasting. Oh, I guess that was Quake. Yeah, Quake was good. I still just remember like. Uh, just even playing through the main story of it though was great because it actually followed the story of the film like there were different levels and stuff that weren't in the actual film but mm. they were just great little levels I guess to sort of fill the gaps unless you make and flesh out a flesh full, it out full game but yeah. all in all the, the main overarching story was still the same as Goldeneye basically with Pierce Brosnan you know being he was a very good Bond so yeah I guess going back on the influences that Goldeneye broke the first person shooter market on console yeah because whereas there's doom and wolfenstein everything else they were all limited to pc that's great until doom 64 came out mm. and then you had duke nukem 64 as well and quake was on 64 as well i'm sure they all they all moved over to there was another market though they weren't reaching out to beforehand and they'd found a way to make it work i guess as well was the other big thing yeah I remember playing Duke Nukem on 64. There you go. Also credited as for popularising and what we now see as a regular occurrence of scoped sniper rifles. Yeah. That wasn't really done at all before then that I can think of. As well as um, hit locations on enemies. Yeah. Because you could shoot people like in the arms and stuff like that. Yeah. And they would bleed where you, where you shot them. I, exactly. Sorry, I was just a bit thrown because I thought you said hit locations and I was like, what? Yeah, Hitler locations. Yeah. South America. Yeah, so I was just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Other aspects in Goldeneye as well that helped shine through and I guess put in a league of its own and then help pave the way going forward was the fact that it had the stealth elements as well to it. Yeah, certainly. The, yeah, I still remember one of the things, I think it might even be, sort of one of the first levels, it was like the second level, maybe it's the factory level where you, you come down through the air vent and you can actually like sneak in above some dude in the, one of like a soldier in one of the stalls and you can snipe him in the head with your silence pistol that's pretty cool pretty good yeah i mean yeah goldeneye definitely changed the way especially on console first person shooters definitely changed it and set a new standard of what people then expected to get from first person shooters yeah even like the tank mission where you're going through the streets blowing shit up with a tank like yeah it wasn't, sounds like fun to me wasn't really you know heard of back then to mix you know, first person shoot with vehicle combat and stuff like that as well. Hmm. It's more fun. Yeah, good mix. But yeah, overall, great game. Absolute trailblazer for its time. 100%. So I think with that in mind, I'd actually give GoldenEye five golden guns out of five. I was going to say, I think this may actually be the first thing to get a perfect score. It's not. We gave something else a perfect score, but no, I can't remember what no, it was. we didn't. Yeah, we did. What? Come on then. What? If it was so good, what was it? One moment there. But yeah. I was also going to give it five golden guns. I really can't fault the game in any way. Shawshank Redemption. Did we though? Pretty sure we did. Pretty sure we got four and a half. I know we've definitely given something five before. Yeah, okay. I remember doing it. 
We'll agree to disagree. You can be wrong all you want, mate. <laughs> we'll move on, though. From the game where you'd always tell your mates no odd job in multiplayer, a game where main character had to do some odd jobs to try and raise some money for his stunt. Cool. That was a movie, though. To a uh, movie where the main character had to do some odd jobs to raise some money for his stunt. To save his stepfather's life. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> he need to fight him, man. Need to be him. an even playing field. But hold on, another um it wasn't a spin off from a skit from SNL, but it did come out of Saturday Night Live as well. Yeah. Uh Hot Rod, obviously is what we're talking about. We've have we not mentioned that? I thought mentioned you it. did say that. No. Okay, my bad. No. It's from the same sort of brainchild or it's got characters from actors from Saturday Night Live, sorry. It was originally envisioned for a different actor from Saturday Night Live. Mm. Uh, obviously Andy Sandberg got it in the end, but it was originally Written for with Will Ferrell in mind. It was, which would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. He's older. I mean, he's, he's older. It was, well, yeah, time that it came out, he was definitely much older. He would have, I don't think he would have been able to play. Because Hot Rod's what? Hot Rod's meant to be, like, not a kid, but, you know, he's meant to be a teenager from, yeah, from well, my understanding of it. Yeah. They're all meant to be teenagers. Yeah, I think he's sort of maybe late teens. Oh, very late early teens. Early 20s, maybe. Yeah, like late teens. But, yeah, that's... Yeah. The impression I, mean, I get from the movie. Yeah. That's the sort of age range they were going for. Yeah. I guess even like even in things like Step Brothers, though, like Will Ferrell and his mum, I don't think are that far apart in actual, <laughs> in age in real life. It would have it would have been interesting to see how it was how it was done. Even if they had have, you know, later on done it as a like a Saturday Night Live sketch where Will Ferrell was like doing like some of the more iconic parts from Hot Rod and then Andy Samberg comes in and is like like, what are you doing, sort of thing? Yeah, true. Lorne Michaels, if you're listening, I am free, and I will happily write for SNL. Just putting it out there. <laughs> well, because it was written by um, Pam Brady. He was actually a writer for South Park. Yeah. Um, and he, he actually wrote the script for the movie whilst Will Ferrell was still on Saturday Night Live, but it never went ahead, so it kind of just sat there collecting dust for a while. Put it in the drawer. Yeah, that's it. Just doing nothing. And then, uh, yeah, Lorne Michaels was like, you know what? Let's give these guys a go at it. Lorne is, Lorne is a bit of a visionary. He, he sees... He's got a pretty good eye for when something's going to work. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they gave um, Lorne and the guys pretty much had... Free reign. Full, yeah, free reign with what they were going to do with it. Because there's two two members of Lonely Island in the movie. And the other one, the third one, is a director, yeah? That, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. So all three of them were in it. In some capacity, it was actually, uh, was it Akiva Schaefer? It was actually his director, directorial uh, debut. Yep. He directed it, obviously. <laughs> and, Good um, work there, mate. With Andy Samberg and uh, John Wittekine, if I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, were obviously starting it as the stepbrothers. Yeah, as uh, Rod and Kevin. The stepbrothers or half-brothers? I don't think they ever specifically state. They don't really say it. Cause they, yeah. like, he says that Frank's... Kevin's His stepdad, but yeah, not. but yeah, no one. It's never explicitly mentioned whether or not they have the same mum. Yeah, yeah. Who there knows? we go. Uh, yeah, cause I only rewatched it last night as well. Cause I hadn't seen it for a little while, so re-familiarised myself with it. Actually, kicked my wife off the TV because she was watching something off off the same device, and then was like, gone on the phone, started talking to her friend, and walked off. And I'm like, <laughs> now's my chance. Now's my chance. I only had one shot, one opportunity. And I seized everything I ever wanted. One moment, I captured it. I didn't let it slip. Very good. Yeah, I just thought of that off the top of my head. Did you? Yeah. Did you manage to write that down? I should, I should definitely write that down. <laughs> but it was, 
it's a great, it's a great film. Like, there's so many funny parts in it. I forgot, you know, some of the parts that were great. It's got a, you know, it's got a stellar cast in it as well. You know, you've got uh, Andy Samberg, Ian McShane, Bill Hader, Danny Bill McBride, Hader, Danny McBride, Ola Fisher. Ola Fisher. There's just so many great people, and I can't remember that guy's name, uh, but he plays the radio station host. That's Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell, that's him. He's um. He's a crack up. Like he's always he funny in things. He, he plays like a. Cause he was in. Um, have you seen Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story? No, I haven't. Definitely should watch that. It is hilarious, and he's in that. And he plays one of the members in Dewey's band, and just yeah, he's just really funny. He's just a really good, like understated actor. He does small roles like that really well. Mm, it's good. He's also the voice Jerry on Rick and Morty. Yeah, that is correct. I know. That's why I said it. It's a truth fact, sir. I think um, look into it because apparently Lauren Michaels. It says here that he convinced Paramount to allow them to do it. So, when you say convinced, it makes sounds like they weren't really sold on the idea when he approached them about it and had did take a bit of work to say, no, no, it's cool, just just let them do it, it will be fine. Yeah. Which is good that he did. Uh, but apparently, Lorne said that he had confidence envisioning the film as a different generation's comedy. Which, yeah, which it was, but it was also good they kept it sort of, they kept it to a PG-13 rating. There's not a lot of swearing or anything like that in it. They wanted it to be similar to, like, Dodgeball, I guess. Which, unpopular opinion, I think is a highly overrated film. Yeah, I've never really watched it. I've seen lots of clips from it. I'm also, lots of people quote lots of lines. For instance, you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That's one of the more, more yeah, more iconic lines from it. But, I mean, it was an alright movie. I'm not a big Ben Stiller fan, though, so that's probably my... Main gripe with it, but it is. I think I think everyone hyped it up as being like the funniest movie of all time before I saw it, and then mm. when I watched it, I was like, "Yeah." See, I do it the opposite do of that. that. I tell people like movies are like you know. I try to tell people like, you know, yeah, it's all right. Like just watch it, and then when they watch it, they're like, <sighs> "Do you though? Do you? Not you. Cause I don't care about you. I don't care if you enjoy yourself. Fuck you." That's fair enough. <laughs> um, I actually did find out why they were reluctant as well. By the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, because this script was initially written with Will Ferrell playing the role in mind, obviously they had some reservations about other people doing it. Paramount allowed them to rewrite the script a bit, allowing them to incorporate their sort of humour into it. Um, however, they did say that it had to match their standards. Right, so they had to run a lot of stuff by them, in other words. Yeah. So, apparently Schaefer said it was pretty much their way of saying, dumb it down. Yeah. Because they were going for a PG-13 rating. Well, that's what Paramount wanted, anyway. Uh, which apparently did involve deleting a comedy designed for Feral, uh, which Sandberg has characterised as so well-written. Yeah. So he didn't quote commas, so I don't know if he was actually being sarcastic or not. Really hard to pick that up. I'm assuming he was being genuine. But yes, deleting those and replacing it with their own humour. Um, and obviously then they had the, the struggle of that they didn't want to seem like they were just doing an impression or imitation of Will Ferrell comedy. So, which just can be hard, especially when you're working with script designed for the man. Yeah, that, that would be very difficult. I actually found something about Sandberg was saying that he wanted his performance to be bad, but it's meant to be bad sort of thing. Like, you know it's bad, but then you want it to be... His, his influ, comedy influences were Three Stooges, Steve Martin in The Jerk, Ace Ventura, the late great Chris Farley, and Billy Madison. So they're all village idiots, that, and that's, that's something he wanted to sort of follow, like he was the village idiot, because he kind of is. He's like the he definitely like the loser he in does the, play in the, that sort of character well. Yeah, but he's also in in Hot Rod. He's like the loser in town, that weird kid that tries to jump things on his scooter and fails all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like 
Safe words. Whiskey. Okay, but why are you saying it like that? Why am I saying what what way? Yeah. Even words that don't have a H in it, he's putting them in there. And then as soon as he lets, like, they're like, three, two, let him go on two. Classic. And then before he's even really started, he's already said his safe word. And he's not saying it weird. He's saying it correctly he's whiskey whiskey <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite scenes from the whole movie though not so much that part but the part right after that where he crashes into that guy's mm. caravan and the guy comes Danny McBride. out and he's like he's like why don't you go get what was it when are you guys gonna get your dick hole smashed and then danny mcbride just goes up and starts it's wailing. Funny. i've been drinking green tea all day i'm pumped i go to church every goddamn sunday you gonna bring the demons out in me <laughs> it's my hat now totally my hat <laughs> it was fucking gold. It's so good. That and Bill Hader with the fucking massive chunk of metal hanging out of his eye. That was funny. He's talking about doing acid. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a cool scene. So apparently, um, I found comments made to it. I couldn't 100% verify, but it seemed to be the actual case that Bill Hader actually did, um, took that off a story, or like something that actually happened to one of his friends. I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, but apparently even better than that, apparently his mate, the friend that he based it on, watched it and then turned around to Bill Hader and said, well, man, that actually happened to me. And he's like, I know, it's based on you. <laughs> Bill Hader is an absolute gem. Like, he's just a great comedian. He's so fucking funny. He is. And, and just the delivery in his lines in that um, in the movies, they're just so good. Like, like where he, he gets out and he's like, um, gets out of the car and he's like, hospital? And points to the garbage bin and he's like, road like trash can. He's like, points to the hospital. Like, yeah. All right. <laughs> he's in there. Even when they're doing the stunt with the, um, in the pool where he's trying to like increase his lung capacity. Mm. He's like abusing his little sister. So funny. And then Danny McBride's like, hey, little girl, I don't want cherry. It upsets my stomach. Great. Um, I think exactly in regards to what Sandberg says here in regards to as well is that he was inspired by the by Wet Hot American Summer. Where he's in that as well though, isn't he? Oh, maybe a minor sure role on one it. of the later ones that they did. Yeah, but that it's it's designed to fuck with what's expected from a film, which it does. Yeah, it does very well because it has that nice absurdist sort of comedy aspect to it as well. Yeah. There's lots of little, and even, you know, little funny sort of wordplay sort of gags and stuff in there as well. Like when he's talking to Denise and he's like, he's like, you look pretty. And she's like, hey, what did you say? Yeah, said you look shitty. <laughs> he runs away. Another great scene, uh, Cool Beans. Cool Beans, which you and I use that phrase it is. very often. Almost was, didn't make it to the final cut of the film. We, we, we may never have had, we would never have known never the, word, had the cool phrase. Cool Beans. Cool. Because apparently uh, Schaefer wanted to... Didn't want it in the film and kind of last minute sort of thing. I think Sandberg and Tacombe convinced him to put it back in. That's what she said. <laughs> I couldn't resist, mate. Open oh, it. okay. No, okay. Sorry. So you get your facts was, right, mate. Yeah, I'm going to get him right. So apparently Sandberg and Tacombe actually edited the scene themselves. And he reinserted it in the last test screening of the film uh, where it actually received high marks from the audiences as one of their favourite bits from the film. It is good. I love the punch dance scene where he goes to his quiet place. <laughs> That's good. And then takes a tumble. Yeah, which after reading his quote about being inspired by like Chris Farley, there's actually a scene in Black Sheep, 
to the movie with him and David Spade. It's one of mm. the two movies they did together that was really good. There was that one and Tommy Boy. Basically, they're out in, in the middle of nowhere. They're trying to keep Chris Farley's character away from his brother's political camp- campaign. Mm. He's a screw-up. And they're out in the middle of like the woods. And Chris is like sees his thing down the bottom of this massive hill. So he starts walking down it and then slips and like falls for ages and then grabs this tiny little shrub and like Chris Farley was a huge man. Yeah. And he's like hanging on by this little shrub. He's like he's like, Please, tiny shrub, hold on. May your root your roots be strong or something like that. And then he's like just pulling himself up and it breaks and he keeps fucking falling. <laughs> and it's gold. So when I when I read that and then watched it again last night, I was like, no, oh, that makes sense. Like, mm. I don't know if that was a little nod that he had to him or, or, or whatever, but yeah. So there's a little, uh, thing. it did, it did fairly well box office wise. Like it nah, opened. It did shit house, man. It didn't even make his production costs back. It opened at number nine though. It's not opened bad. At number Top nine. 10. It may have opened number nine, but it didn't even make its production costs back. Yeah. That's pretty shit. They should have done a jump to raise money to get their production costs back. <laughs> I do like. I did like. Um, speaking of poor ratings, Chris Parnell's character's bit about AM radio and how like they used to be number one in town, and then like now everyone's all about FM radio and color TV. <laughs> and he shows them the tattoo of he's like yeah. really rebellious young boy who's urinating, and it's, the stream breaks off into two. One's going onto an FM radio, and the other one's onto a television set. I like to envision that he had sex the night before. And there's still some resi- res- some residue left in mm. his urethra. Apparently, the line originally was meant to be semen. Oh, really? Yeah, but Paramount and ooh, we can't say that on movies. Got all in the way, and uh, so I had to change the. Do the, the people at Paramount all speak like a really bad Paul McCartney impression? Yeah, right. All of them. All of them. Every single one. Every single person there. Um, yeah, so they... Well, you know? They had to change it from, yeah, semen to residue. A residue. Uh, I wonder if anyone's actually gone out, like a diehard fan of Hot Rod, has gone out and got that tattoo done. Surely someone had. Yeah, probably. People are weird. People exactly. I was just, I was actually thinking, like, there's weird people out there. Yeah. Uh, getting to that part of the movie, though, where they did the, the big jump, it featured a, I guess you'd call them a glam rock band known as Gown. That were singing a, a Europe song. Mm. They were singing Rock the Night. Um, I'm pretty sure they actually changed the words to Rod the Night, maybe. Makes sense. For the, for the jump. But the band that's actually playing as Gown was Queens of the Stone Age. Big Dogs themselves. Big Dogs themselves, which is pretty impressive. I did not know that. No. I did some research. I was like, because they're all done up in like wigs and all full glam shit, so you can't really tell. But nice little thing. The actual soundtrack was put together by X. Yes, guitarist Trevor Rabin, which I guess, I mean, obviously the 80s ballad sort of music really fits the power ballad sort of music. Fits it does. The, I think there's one yeah. shout out in there as Australian music, solo artists probably don't get get that much of a big play um, oh, in this, movies. This as, I, know, um, I know where you're going. As you would say, but uh, oh, Johnny Boy. Johnny Johnny, Johnny Farnham. Johnny Farnham gets a bit of a shout out with uh, You're the Voice playing uh, during did. the, what ends up being that massive ride. Yeah. And that, that, that was actually a really, like a really good scene. Mm. It, it is a song. It does, you know, it does rev you up, get you going. It does. Yeah. No, certainly. Um, it was a good use of that. I remember the first time I ever watched it, I was like, what the fuck? John Farnham. Who the hell over there is listening to John Farnham and decided, you know what? No, this movie needs. Needs a bit of John Farnham. Bit of Farnsy. There's some great songs 
you know, it's actually got a pretty solid soundtrack. So you've got, you know, you've got You're the Voice by John Farnham. You've got uh, I Just Died in Your Arms by Cutting Crew. Died in your arms tonight. It's a fucking great song. Um, Rock Must Night. have been something you said. Apparently we're not finished with that yet. No, not really. Um, Rock the Night by Europe. Um, Time Has Come by Europe. Uh, Danger on the Track by Europe. Oddly enough. Oh, and Cherokee by Europe. Oddly mm. enough. Uh, no final countdown, which is like the main song they're known for. <laughs> it's funny because I don't know. I don't know if anyone else is guilty of this, but I always think of John Farnham when I listen to the final countdown. Yeah, I don't know why, but there's just something about that song that actually makes me think John Farnham. Yeah, I get that. I can understand that. I mean, I don't normally think of it, but I I can understand it. I can see how you can see how that could work. Um, but well, the whole soundtrack is actually composed by um, ex Yes guitarist Trevor Rabin. Yeah, I already mentioned that. Did you? Cool. Just wanted to reiterate it. Uh, but I didn't realise this. Apparently you must have written some sort of original for it because track 13 off the soundtrack is Dave on Acid by Trevor Rabin. Yeah. Which is cool. So obviously he did for that whole scene where, where he's talking. There's music playing in the background. Mm. So he must have actually composed an original score sort of thing for that, which is cool. That is cool. And Stunt Suit as well. Oh yeah, I missed track that 15. one. Yeah, I didn't say that. Nice. Um, I think... AV Club here actually wrote something in regards to the film, which I think kind of makes sense. With for, So, look, they later wrote that the film differentiated itself from other Lorne Michaels-produced comedies. They said they may be just as poorly received, but their rhythms are unpredictable and exciting, shocked to life by moments of anti-comedy and wacky deconstruction. Hardcore comedy devotees pick up on them like a dog whistle. I think that can be said in a lot of regards to, like, Lorne Michaels, like, a lot of SNL movies there, such as... A Night of the Roxbury, McGruber, Wayne's World, Blues Brothers. All of those, yeah. Or didn't come out with great scores for the most part, but they all do have that. Somewhat of a cult following. Yeah, after afterwards. Which is, yeah, it's very interesting the way that they, they come out. Something I was just thinking about then, because like Andy Samberg's acting style in that is very sort of all over the place. Like he's a very emotional sort of character. Mm. But... There are parts in it where I can definitely see elements of Will Ferrell, and I can also see elements of Adam Sandler. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, maybe maybe Andy Samberg's like the love child of Will Ferrell and, and Adam Sandler. Is that right? Did anyone ever think of that? No one has a thought of that at all. Uh, see? Ever. New conspiracy theory. Putting it out there. <laughs> it's a test tube, baby. I do love all the fight scenes and interactions he has with uh, Frank and McShane's character. Yeah. Especially that final one. Yeah. Where he makes him shit himself. Hits him with the poo tai chi move. <laughs> Which is great. I like when they, they're, yeah, in their first fight where they're, he's like, I'm going to slap that silly looking moustache right off your face. When all, like, all greatest men, where all great men wear, have moustaches. And he's like, yeah, but real men grow their own. <laughs> like, savage. But all in all, as an overall film. 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 I don't like it when you don't say it that way. Sorry, you can fight about it later. Not in front of the children. Overall, I would, you know, I'd give it four and a half moustaches out of five. Moustaches? Yeah. That's, no, I'm not using moustaches. I'm not using moustaches. What are we going to use then? Four and a half tabs of acid. Four and a half beans. Four and a half spirit animals. Yes. Boom. So overall, I would give Hot Rod four and a half spirit animals out of five. I'm only going to give it four. Only four. I was tossing up between four and four and a half, and I'm like, yeah, it's got some good rewatch value. I'll give it. A, I'll give it an extra bit. Yeah, no, I'm gonna give it four. wasn't, wasn't quite 
Wasn't quite perfect. No, it wasn't quite perfect. Definitely freaking hilarious and has its moments. Oh, yeah. Um, but definitely, again, oh, it doesn't so much have lulls, but it is... Uh, uh, yes, there's an overarching story, but there is... It's just a long string of gags. Yeah, maybe you're just not too legit enough. Too legit to quit. I didn't do the hand signals because people can't see it, but then I did do them. But then we did do the hand signals because yeah, I was too legit. I was too <laughs> legit to quit. Then I was unlegit, so I must quit. Uh, <laughs> moving right along to... Just did want to point out, just because of that scene, it remind me of fucking Rod wearing a tie with a fucking polo shirt. And that fucking trolley full of... Like, he's been an adult, so he has to go do his own grocery shopping, and he's literally just walking around with a trolley full of fucking alcohol, which would have cost hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, with the amount of bottles of booze that he has in that trolley. Well, yeah, he likes to party. Well, he's an adult now. But moving right along to, from, you know, an Andy Samberg film to film, sorry. Thank you. To a TV series that he featured in, Parks and Rec. Not just him as well. Uh, Jorma Tacone also featured in, in Parks cu- and Rec. A couple of episodes. Yeah, a few. And he Actually, that would be more than Andy Samberg, because Andy Samberg's only in like one episode. He's been in more than one episode, surely. Andy Samberg, no, he's in that one that I'm one episode. sure he's in more than one. I'll fight you on it. Andy Samberg, Parks and Rec- Recreation, played Carl Lawthner, episode Park Safety. What he would have been, I'm sure he was in one. I'm sure he came back at one point. Unless they just reused some footage. John Tacone, Roscoe Santangelo, three episodes. Three episodes. He also directed one or two, didn't he? I did, yeah. He did direct a couple of episodes as well. There you go. But Parks and Rec, great TV series. Uh, so funny from, you know, first season was a bit meh it was good yeah but like it, that wasn't a, it didn't pop yeah it didn't it, it, yeah it didn't suck suck you straight in but I, I gave it the benefit of the doubt I was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through and just mm. also still good like it wasn't bad oh, I wasn't bad wasn't by any, bad any sense you definitely watched it you enjoyed it and then you watched the second episode the second go into the second season and it, it got better I think it's uh, follows through because then character development comes starts shining through more I think yeah. that's the good thing with those good TV shows. Uh, same as Better Off Ted in that regard. First season wasn't that great. Second season was better, but the characters got started getting expanded on more. Reference back to old stuff that had happened. There was a lot of continuity continu- in regards to what was going on. And it started setting up more and more. As time goes on, they can reference back to other stuff and keep the jokes going because you understand the characters more because they, they were real. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Uh, I think they realised as well that they needed to give Nick Offerman's character, Ron Swanson, more airtime. Yeah, he definitely from the, sec- from the second season. His character is fucking great. He's he's, a gr- he's one of the best TV characters. Like, he's so good. Ron Swanson. Yeah. He's, he he's just a great character. He's so abrupt. and Nick Offerman's just deadpan delivery of everything is brilliant Nick Offerman's great because he's such a manly man but he laughs like a fucking schoolgirl. he has the (laughs) weirdest goofiest laugh I love it though like it's such a it's such a uh, an endearing feature I guess he um, like there's that the scene where him and Andy are are bonding and they they eat the meat tornado Hmm. and they go outside and, and throw the football and they like I think he throws a pass and Andy jumps and like lands on this person's car and sets off the alarm and they just start running and he's like, wait for me, Andy. And he's like giggling the whole way and it's just really funny. But star-studded TV series, if you think about it, like, you know, you've got 
Nick Offerman, Amy Poehler, um, Chris Pratt, Aziz Ansari. Aziz Ansari. How's that his name? Yeah. There you go. And Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. Who's re- she's really weird. She is weird. Do you ever watch any interviews with her? Oh, I watched her um, Hot Ones episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that that would have been interesting? Yeah. No, I've watched um, her on Conan and like Jimmy Fallon and stuff, and her interviews are always weird. She's very, very much like her character. Like it, like it seems like mm. April is just an extension of who she is. And uh, you know, Rashida Jones and Perkins, um, you know, Adam Scott as Ben Wyatt, um, Rob Lowe as mm. Chris Traeger. I actually love Rob Lowe's character. Chris he, Traeger is yeah, hilarious. he's great. Just so many, so many great characters. Didn't like Mark Brandanowitz. Yeah. No, he was a little. Oh, he wasn't bad, but Ben was a bit. Was a good replacement for him. Ben was a much better replacement. It was. It was unusual for Adam Scott as well, because normally his characters, you know, are usually very over the top and brash, whereas Ben's sort of a bit of a quiet, bit of a nerd. Well, he's very much a nerd. He creates his own game, Cones of Dunshire. Yeah. <laughs> They were, oh, there was, yeah, all in their own right. They're bloody great characters. I love when he goes and works for that accounting firm and the dude, like, falls in love with him and then he leaves and then the dude's still, like, massively in love with him and every time he sees him, he's so happy to see him and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he made change their business. He did. He was their best employee. Uh, another one of my favourite characters as well is Jerry. Jerry, whose real name's Gary. <laughs> Gary, then it's Jerry, it's like, then it becomes Terry... Larry, like his name changes throughout the whole the whole series. Yeah, he's just this really lovable idiot, I guess. He is, but like the enigma of Jerry, like just keeps expanding. Like, cause you don't see his family for like the first couple of seasons or something, and all of a sudden you meet his family, and it turns out that Jerry has this really hot wife and daughter and everything else, and he's just kept his whole family life secret. No one realised, and he's got all these other things going on outside of work. Everyone's the- in like absolute shock. When they mm. first meet, when they first meet his wife. Yeah, it's didn't find out that he does all these other things outside of the workplace. Yeah, it's it's a really good series, and and character wise, it is it's very solid. Um, I think it's really funny. You can actually tell when Chris Pratt's come back to the show after doing the first Guardians of the Galaxy because he is in much better shape physically. Did he were there at the same time? Yeah, surely not. Yeah, get out of town. Yeah. I did not realise that. Because he's, he's got a little bit of a dad bod in the uh, first when, when he first scene, when he first scene. <laughs> and then after he comes back from that, he is very much like a much slimmer version of himself. <laughs> little uh, little fun fact, as you know, one of my favourite YouTube series is uh, Binging with Babish. Hmm. The very very first episode that he ever made was a Parks and Rec episode. It was. He made Chris Traeger's turkey burger versus Ron's beef burger, and yeah, for a first episode of a like a of a YouTube series, it's actually really well done. But it's um yeah, that's his, his, his first episode, and he even says after going to all the effort of making the really fancy turkey burger and then eating the plain beef burger, he's like, yeah, it's better. The turkey was better. No, the because like you know in the in the episode where they have the the cook off, mm. Chris makes this really fancy turkey burger. And he, they have a panel of judges, and they eat it. And then Ron just like has two ingredients: beef and and bread. And he puts it in like the bun. And he's like, "This is a beef burger, a plain beef burger, on a white bun, 
add ketchup if you must enjoy i couldn't care less and walks off and then they eat it and they're like this is better this is definitely better and then chris is like he hadn't had any fat or anything for so long he's like he's like can i try one and he, and he eats it and he's like oh my god this is better mm-hmm. turkey can't turkey can't beat beef in a fucking burger off no it's really ludicrous can't. yeah technically if we're being really picky about it Turkey burger isn't even really a burger. It's a turkey sandwich. Because the definition of a burger is chopped beef cooked somehow in between white bread. And technically anything else is a sandwich. So even like a chicken burger is actually a sandwich. Just a little fun fact for you there. Just a little little piece of, you know, wisdom. culinary wisdom for you. A little you. wisdom from uh, George Motes, the uh, burger historian. Uh, getting a bit more into the what the fucks of the show... Uh, before the show even was aired, it already received criticism. Criticism before it even aired. Before it even aired. So obviously, you, you know, I went through focus groups and whatever it's like, else. It's like your wife being pregnant and you like bagging out the baby before it's even born. Fuck. <laughs> um, so I went through focus groups um, and I guess they can, I can understand where this comparison will come from is that people who watched it felt it was just a carbon copy of The Office. Yeah, I read that as well. And I sort of took a little bit of exception to that because they, they said that, you know, Leslie Nope reminded them of Steve Carell's uh, Michael Scott. It's not so much that, though. It's the, the style they went for, the documentary, because they obviously then go and have like the sort of interview style thing done as well. Yeah, which, which I can see that side of it. Mm. But comparing Leslie to Michael, Leslie's not stupid. She's just naive. Michael is a fucking dumbass. True, true. Like, it, it, it's chalk and cheese in that sense. But, yeah. I do love Leslie as a character. I love her love of waffles and whipped cream. Whipped cream? She loves whipped cream. Whipped? Whipped cream. Why are you saying it weird? <laughs> Why am I saying what weird? <laughs> uh, throwback. I do like how Ron is so anti-government, but he works in the government. But that's his whole point. That's his that's his MO, man. That's his MO. He's taking it down from the inside. Yeah, by doing fuck all. Exactly. Yeah. I know he's just <laughs> it's amazing that the man's even kept his job at so all, long. considering oh, oh no, oh no, at the same time, the reason he keeps his job is because Leslie still does keep working and probably makes more than makes up for the lack of work that she, he does. She does the work for two people. Yeah. But then he gets his dream job. Spoilers gets his dream job towards the end of the uh, the series where she makes him in charge of like a national park and it's his just job to spend all day in the park and that's right go kayaking and shit mm. like that. Also, like how Ron Swanson is again more of an extension of Nick Offerman himself as well in some regards. Yeah, um, like woodworking and things like that. Love where... of meat. Yeah, his love of meat. Because uh, Nick Offerman is actually uh, by trade, uh, he's a he's a is a qualified boat builder. Yeah. And he's, um, his favourite whiskey in the show, whiskey in the show. Whiskey. Um, the Lagavulin is actually a real whiskey. I thought it was just a, like a made-up thing. Yep. But it's, you know, it's, it's actually a legit thing. You can buy it from bottle shops. So, nice. Yeah, we might have to, uh, it's a little a little pricey. We might have to go half. <laughs> a little pricey, okay and, then. And, so uh, it must be... Smash, smash some in. Sign that it may be good. Yeah. Just because it's expensive doesn't actually mean it's going to be good, but May, it's a maybe sign. Maybe something that you don't have to cut with Coke. You just... Uh, a few ice cubes. A few ice cubes. A few rocks. A few bit of the rocks. I do love the relationship that uh, Ron has with Leslie, though. 
Like, yeah. whilst they are polar opposites of each other and he disapproves of everything she does to help the government, he... And they even have a few fights throughout the, the series as well. Mm. Well, they butt heads more so. But at the end of the day, he has got a very big soft spot in his heart for Leslie. Yeah, they're still friends. They're still spot friends. at all. They're friends. When he, when he punches that guy at her wedding, the um, Senator Jam, and he comes yeah. in and he's like booing and stuff. And Ron's like, you don't want to do this, friend. And he's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, pushes him. He's like, "That's one. I'll give you one. And then he's just like cracks him one. It's awesome. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, Nick Offerman's real-life wife actually features in the, the series as his ex-wife, Tammy Too. Yes. I love this wife. It's like, she's also named Tammy? Yes. Yeah. And she does get her hooks into him one last time and he goes a bit off the rails, but then uh, bounces back. I love when he's reminiscing through book of all the times he goes to that steakhouse. <laughs> and he's like, he's like the steak prime rib the whiskey lager Vullen, 16 the woman to my my right a bitch <laughs> his office set up is how i wish i could have my office set up with like a sawn off shotgun on the desk and because we all need that don't we claymore we, we we all need sawn off shotguns and claymores on our desks yes i don't have to work i love the fact that the claymore actually says on it face towards enemy like it's got instructions all claymores have that. Yeah, but I, I just love the fact that that's, that's, that needed to be put on there. Yeah, well, you think there are of, Americans handling them. Part of basic training would be, this is the side you point to the enemy. Don't fuck that up. Again. Yeah. Sorry Americans. To our, sorry to our American listeners. We do have a couple of people that listen in America, so... Look. You know what to be. Search your heart. Search. When, it, when it comes to friendly fire, Americans are more guilty of it than, than, than most other military teams. It's like, oh... Because they don't communicate with each other. Not just at wartime either. But they don't communicate like... I've heard so many instances where like they're out there in like war zone, battlefield, and they're out there and they haven't communicated knowing that there's an actually another one of their teams in the proximity have come up against what they think then is the enemy and start shooting at each other because they're from two separate like squadrons, teams, whatever, and don't realise that the other team they've come across is actually just, just another, another one of the friendly squad roaming the same area yeah it's pretty stupid i will give you that america there's actually some great music throughout the, the series as well did you say music music like uh mouse rats the pit great song and uh the the song for little sebastian little sebastian the little miniature pony that <laughs> yeah they get some that gets some good play throughout the series too they get that gets a really good really good run and there's actually a uh, where is it? yeah the the song Lil uh, the song called Five Thousand Candles in the Wind uh, because it was Leslie asked him to write a song like Candle in the Wind by Elton John only five thousand times better. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an Andy thing to do as well though. That is, that's actually really funny. I do like the fact that him and April get together. Yeah, they they have a great weird but great dynamic those yeah. two when, when the show starts out she's sort of dating a guy who's gay with and with another guy but he's like they have like this weird three-way relationship mm. which is strange it's an, it's an unusual setup you have just reminded me of a couple of other characters now which get brought into it which is and i can't remember if they um whose friends they are but the brother and the sister 
Oh, they're um, Tom's friends. They are Tom's friends, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy. He's got this really weird name. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Ralph Macchio. No, that's not Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio is the guy that plays Karate Kid. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a name similar to that, though. John uh, Ralphio. John yeah. Ralphio. John Ralphio, yeah. Played yeah. by uh, Ben Schwartz. That's why, I don't know, that's, I, 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 do you reckon it's meant to be a play on Ralph Macchio? Don't know, and then Jenny Slate, who plays sister Mona Lisa. Yeah, she <laughs> is fucking crazy. Yeah, like, uh, but they, they're great characters. They are super annoying. They are. But great characters. Like, you know, the whole love to hate character. Yeah. Um, I think another great thing that I loved that came out of Parks and Rec was the whole treat yourself, which um, Tom and Donna do. Yeah, Donna's another really good character. Mm. She's, um, yeah, big personality. Okay. She has, she has a huge personality. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. She's also cousins with Genuine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Apparently. That's right. Oh, I almost forgot that Lucy Lawless was in it as well. Yeah. She's in it only sort of briefly though, isn't she? Yeah, towards the end. Ron's new wife. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think, I love think interest. you miss it though because she's got like sort of lighter brown hair. Mm-hmm. Whereas you always think of Lucy Lawless as having jet black hair. True. True. Xena Warrior Princess. Yes. Teenage Me was a big fan of Xena Warrior Princess. There's most great, great show. Most young teenage boys were and girls. It's not discriminate. No, but it's you it was, it was more likely to bo- be boys. Mostly boys. Let's be real. Girls had Hercules. True. Big Fabio looking motherfucker he was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently, in uh, March 2019, uh, during the 10th anniversary reunion, the cast actually confirmed they would they would be interested in. Uh, returning for a revival Interested series. and willing. Interested and willing, that's correct. But they said, you know, if I, it, was, it had to be if uh, Michael Schur came up with something, it was original and mm. an idea that they was actually, you know, it was new and something they wanted, that it, that it seemed great. Uh, he actually replied by saying, I would never say never. Uh, the chance to do it again would be great. But also, you'd be incredible. Uh, but he said we, uh, we would only do it if we all felt like there was something compelling us to do it. If one single person said no, we wouldn't do it. Which is good. That's good. It's a good, I state, don't, good take I, to have on it. As much as they may be willing to do it, I, I don't think it would work. The yeah. way the series, the way the whole thing ended, it just wouldn't make sense. The way the series ended was Because, massive spoiler alert, right now, um, don't Amy and Ben... Move out of porn, eh? Yes. Like, it, I just don't see... Like, it would just change it. I think the way it ended was, was great. I don't know why. Yeah. They'll need to, like, change things and, like, come up with some ridiculous bullshit reason while they're all back together in the same place again. The only way that I reckon they could make it work... Now, this is me fantasy writing here. Is if I was going to do it, the way I would do it is because the whole, the whole thing is set up as, like, a... Like a documentary series, right? Mm-hmm. A mockumentary. You, mockumentary. So you you basically bring it back as... So you get all the cast to reprise their roles. You get them to... Uh, providing they haven't aged horribly, which most of them haven't, you'd get them to just basically go through and... You'd have it as like... It's like, it's like a special feature, like a looking back that the, the producers of the mockumentary have you know, found some lost bits of footage or whatever... Then you get the actors to come in and do the lost bits of footage episodes, but also do 
like modern day commentary saying, you know, I can't believe that was cut from the show or that sort of shit. So then you, it makes it work. So then you, you're not. I would not watch that. You're not changing the timeline. You're just changing, adding stuff. You wouldn't watch that. No. Yeah, but you're a bit of a wanker. Yeah. No, don't like it. How would you do it? I like your idea though. How? But would I wouldn't it? watch it. If you had to do it, how would you do it? I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch it. You wouldn't touch it. No. Much as I would love to see more, I wouldn't touch it. The way it ended was fine. It was fine. I would not actually want to see it come back. Like, otherwise, it's going to be some weird... Like, I wouldn't mind, like, a one-off special scene. Like, if they've actually got some more genuine story and, like, they have a reunion or something like that. Like, I wouldn't see, like, mind seeing, like, a one-off special if they had some yeah, good content sort of to come through. Yeah, not a whole series. Like, but, a one-off special where they do, this is all the stuff that... Okay, okay, that, that would be okay, but no. But, that, but no, I couldn't see another series coming back. But not as a series. Yeah, no, no, it wouldn't come back as a series. If you did it as a series, it'd be ridiculous. Hmm. It'd need to be a one-off special... Like a like a DVD but at the same special time, feature. There's no need for it. No. I, I don't... Like, the, you really need to be something... Any way you look at it, it'd be a money grab. I think so. Yeah, it'd be a money grab. There's... Like, unless they have some really, really fucking just absolutely pure fucking gold. They're like, holy shit, we really should have done this when it was still on. Let's, let's get it happening. Don't touch it. Yeah. I'm glad they ended it when they did as well, though. Like... If they had to try to take characters away and then to keep it going, mm. when shows do that, they never, it never works out well. Well, because they'll usually bring in a replacement as well. It changes the dynamic. And yeah. It's just the only shit. exception to that, oddly enough, would probably be The Office when Steve Carell left because they they had a bit of fun in the, in the interim before they actually settled on who was going to be his replacement. Mm. They, like, interviewed... Like, they had episodes where they interviewed people like Jim Carrey and all different sorts of things, like auditioning to be Michael Scott but actually like going for like a job interview and stuff which was yeah, really cool. funny that's funny um, James Spader funnily enough mentioning that the only time that did work was well not only time but time it has worked well was in Parks and Recreation where they got rid of Mark yeah and replaced him with um with Ben with Ben well yeah as a, as a love interest for Leslie mm. yeah and then, what, and, really then later, and then later on they brought him it was no, because uh, Rob Lowe's character gets brought in at the same time as Ben, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, for the third season. Love interest yeah. for Ann Perkins. That's it. Ann Perkins. He always, <laughs> he always says her name. <laughs> he did say it in a weird way. In a, in a weird way. Uh, there's a lot of great Ronisms, though, in the series as well. Like Ronisms. Love it. Like, uh, you know, uh, there's two things in this world I hate. Liars and skim milk, which is just water that's lying about being milk. <laughs> He has a valid point. It's a valid point. Most of his points are pretty valid. Like some of them are a bit, bit how you going, but they're they're <laughs> still valid points. There seems to be being a mistake here. It appears that you've given me the food that my food eats. Yeah. Then he goes out and opens up the grill, and there's no steaks. It's just all mushrooms. Hmm. And the way that he um he's also um like training up Aubrey Plaza's character, April. Yeah. Couldn't remember her character's name for a second there. Uh, he's training up April to replace him if he ever leaves because she does the same sort of thing of just undermining everything that goes on. Um, I think the great was that when they're in like the supermarket with the taste testing of the ta- vegan bacon. The vegan bacon. And he's there, he's like, hmm. And just takes it, just chucks it in the bin and keeps asking for more. So he can just keep throwing it in the, the bin. The guy's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm making sure no one ever has to eat this. <laughs> and then April. Starts trying to do it as well, because he won't give any more to, to Ron. Ron. Yeah, uh, he's absolute gold. Um, it's a great, 
Yeah, it's a great, it's such a great, it's just great character work. He just does that character so mm. well. Nah, all the actors do a great job of playing their characters, and and they're all written very well. The thing I was reading through, like with the first season, uh, a lot of criticisms were given about actual character development throughout it, uh, which potentially yeah is valid for the first season. Um, next six seasons though, spot on. Cracker. Mm. He even got um Paul Rudd in it at one point. Yeah. He runs against Leslie in the in the election. <laughs> no, they brought in that great uh, sleuth of uh, cameo actors throughout the series. Yeah, it was heaps. Um, I like when Ron encounters the other Ron, the real like hippie new age sort of guy. He's got he's got a moustache, like he's got like a grey sort of moustache, the tallest, skinniest sort of fella. Mm. He's in um, he's in the ranch. I'm not sure. Yeah. That that, okay. Yeah. That so guy. was that's what I was trying to think. I was like, isn't that that? But yeah, it's the guy from the ranch. Yeah. Yeah terrible TV show I haven't actually watched it have you no yeah. don't bother uh, I mean watch it for yourself I wouldn't ever tell someone to not do it you never know maybe they're cup of tea I didn't looks like I didn't really enjoy it the jokes kind of fall flat the whole time and it looks like just an yeah. excuse to get some of the guys from that 70s show back together again a little bit a little bit <laughs> <laughs> like I was a little bit sorry because I'm pretty sure I watched all of that 70s shows then saw that and I was like oh yeah I could I could do with some more Aston Kutcher and uh and hide in my life. Um, but no, I'd, I'd watched like the first part. I just, yeah, didn't really resonate with me. Some shows are like that though. Yeah. Parks and Rec, great show. If you haven't watched it, definitely get around it. We've spoiled a lot of it for you, but... Yeah, well, you're in Australia, you can watch it on Stan. So if you're in America, it's still available on American Netflix, so get on it. Yeah, it's definitely very, very readily available for you to watch. Mm. Also, if you're in America, just a little shout out here, because Toast of London is still on American Netflix. I discovered the other day, which really annoyed me. Do yourself a favour and watch Toast of London. Yeah, I've seen a couple of episodes of Toast of London, and it is definitely really good. I actually want to watch it fully. I know. I started watching it, because I'm pretty sure it was on Australian Netflix for a little while. It was. And then they took it off. They did. I watched it all. As I started watching it, I was like, mother... I'm assuming Stan will pick it up at some point. They seem to like pick up British comedies, so... They do. They generally uh, pick up most of them. Stan did drop the ball on one thing, though. They had all of Married with Children on there at one point, and then they got rid of it. I was sad about because that was great. What can you do? Win some, you lose some. By the way, the amount of times that we say do yourself a favour, we should really look at reaching out to uh, to Molly... (laughs) Oh, Moles. Oh, Moles. He'd love to have a chat with us, I reckon. So, mate, we use Do Yourself a Favour that many times. And then you're like, you're probably going to think about suing us. Yeah, then he'd be like, he'd be like <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, where's my money, bitch? <laughs> One last thing I'd like to add on Parks and Rec as a whole is it's really great to see as a, let's see a sitcom that's, you know, like, is it a sitcom? Call it a sitcom. Comedy series, whatever, that has... A great female lead like a lot of the time it can fall flat but amy poehler's portrayal of leslie nope is such a lovable character and and she's just such a like talented comedian it all just works so well mm. i'm trying to think of actually another series that's got a, a great female lead but buffy vampire slow it's not a comedy series mate uh that's it's quite funny yeah, it's, it's comical how poor the, the effects are in it but not even that bad they get better. They're pretty bad. They get better. Like when my wife watches Charmed and I'm like, this is fucking horrendous. Again, another show with great female leads. Yeah, but the special effects are horrible. Yeah, but that's not what your point was, mate. It's also not a comedy show. I'm trying to think of like an actual comedy series that's got... Roseanne. 
Roseanne, yeah. Vicar Dibley. Vicar Dibley is another good one. There we go, we've got a few. But yeah, there's some some good ones keeping up appearances. The Bucket Lady. Bucket Lady. Um, you know, it, it is just good to see. And it's good to see it done so well. Yeah, no, definitely. So overall, in, in conclusion, I'm actually going to give Parks and Recreation four and a half Swansons out of five. Four and a half. There you go. This is where we've swapped from the last one. I will give Parks and Rec four Swansons out of five. Just because the first season, first season is a bit meh, and I really hate Mark Bandanowitz. Yeah, fair enough. I didn't mind Mark Bandanowitz. I thought his character was fine, but he definitely didn't add anything to the dynamic at the same time as well. But the first season was just finding its feet. Definitely picked up. Got a lot better. Nah, four and a half. Well, there you go. But overall, great series. All right, it's come to that time to, to consult the hats of destiny. See what we have going on for you next time. All right, let's draw some shit out. That's what I just said, yeah. Uh, so, video game hat, God of War. Uh, the God be the of series. the War. Yeah. Overall. And then we've got here, movie. Uh, here come the man in black, man in black. That was terrible. That was really bad. Yeah. But Soz. Not Soz. Great film series, so that'll be good. And TV, we've got... I hope it's TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, White Gold. White Gold, Netflix series. Oh, I don't know if it's actually just a Netflix series, but it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. I'll have to actually check it out because I haven't seen any of it yet, but it's only two seasons, so I'll be able to binge that through that. correct. Yeah, short British series, so we've only got about... Six episodes a season to watch. I can make that work. And what's that got? Ed Westwick of... Uh, Gossip Girl fame. Gossip Girl fame, indeed. Um, XOXO, mate. As well as um, James Buckley and... Oh, what's the other bloke from The Inbetweeners in it? Jane Simon. Jane Simon, yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. I'll have to check that out. I know. It's a good watch. Good watch. So that's it for another week on on COP. Don't forget, you can always follow us on the socials. Get out there on the faces, the instas, and the twits. Also, check us out at cutoffpopularity.com as well. We are all over the interwebs. That's right. Uh, but this is this has been another listening experience. That's it this week for another week from 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 Cold Popularity Podcast. Cop that.